This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre studios on Boonwurrung Country, I'm your host, Jack Jannon. Joined this week in studio by Carl Hawke, and it's been a little bit since you've been on the show. Hello, hello. Has it? Well, <laughs> it's been a number of weeks in a row that Jacint and I have been yes, going through true. and covering. Very, very true, because, yeah, you've been in, it, covering a lot of topics that were going to be discussed at the LGBTIQ Women's Conference, and perhaps I'm of a vague headspace because this week was the LGBTIQ Women's yes. Health Conference. And we'll be recapping that. Now, the Women's Health Conference, you know, we do talk about how, uh, you know, Bubba Wells produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. Um, the Women's Health Conference took up, uh, was took place on the lands of the Wurundjeri people up yes. where uh, the Abbotsford Convent is now. Yep. Um, and so recognizing that we were kind of up in that space uh, this past week. And yeah, it was good. I think we're still kind of processing it, you know, it's the day after the conference. Um, we're, and- we're mostly well recovered, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it was Are a, we? There's, okay. There's, there was, look, there was a lot to keep up with, I think. Yeah. Um, because of our work at Thorn Harbor, we were seeing a lot of the conference from the back end side of things, right? Sure, sure. But I think for a lot of people at the conference, it was a very diverse range of topics that were being discussed. Yeah. There was a lot of variation in the kinds of research and the amount of research that had been done. Like some of, some of these... Um, Research presentations were in the middle of their research. Some were well after, and so they were able to kind of draw more conclusions and discuss a little bit more in depth. But I think that diversity of of topics meant that there were some really fascinating intersectional conversations happening yes. as part of the conference. And and, and, I, and I, I think for listeners too, let's just acknowledge the, I guess, is it irony that, you know, two of the cisgender males <laughs> in the Well, Well, Well team are presenting the recap. But let's just recognize and give a shout out to our co-presenters, Rachel Cook and Jacinta Hanekam, who have been really leading the way in organizing the LGBTIQ Women's Health Conference, which is no small feat in no, and of itself. No. Let alone the last one has been Five years since they had an in-person conference. Oh, yeah, totally. And to jumpstart an event like that, you know, it's almost like starting over again because you don't have the momentum of the previous year to kind of leverage. And I I really want to give a shout out to Jacinta and Rachel, who are probably still recovering. Passed out. Yes. (laughs) It's going to be sleeping for the next few days, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, But just recognize that, you know, uh, that that they did just really a remarkable job. Um, And so hats off to them. That being said, you know, Jack, you and I were talking before the show around, yes, we are cisgender male. Yes. But I think that, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, but I really want to encourage listeners, you know, if you go, oh, this is an, oh, a women's health issue thing, I'm going to check out. Don't. Stay with us for no. this episode. Because the thing is, is that the people, whether or not these issues directly impact you, it probably directly impacts people around you. And you increasing your literacy just that little bit. Yeah. It, it just makes you... That could a- make a hell of a lot of an impact, I think, on a lot of people that are close to you. Like, some of these topics actually may well be applicable to you. If you're not... Yeah. Like, if you're in a similar boat as we are, you know, cisgender male, we're like, oh, how much of this is going to be applicable? More than you think. But then a lot of the stuff that 
isn't applicable to, to us, I think, on like a, let's say, a clinical level, I suppose, like a lot of the, 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 those kinds of issues, there's a wellness impact, I think, to the, to the people that it impacts directly. Like yep. if you're experiencing some sort of um, medical issue, let's say, there's a wellness um, aspect to that that may well knock on to people in their circles. Yeah. And I think having a better understanding of what those issues are and how to potentially navigate them with the person experiencing them, that would make a huge difference. And I think the other thing is too, is I think that part of why you know, we might get into this with some of the guests is that the women's health has this, I guess, stigma still around it around, oh, we don't talk about that. That's a women's thing. This is secret women's yeah. business. It's not, you yeah. know, and we need to, we need to chip away at that. I think that's what, you know, allyship really looks like is that yep. we kind of go, no, we need to be comfortable to talk about these issues because people are experiencing them. They are real. And let's, you know, let's just be okay with that let's sit in that discomfort for a minute so definitely stay with us this episode even if you think these issues don't impact you and if they do impact you let's get into it absolutely uh coming up now though uh we'll be speaking with uh jade parker uh who is at acon uh, they are the community uh health promotion officer working on sexual domestic and family violence uh work there that's what we're getting into this episode let's get into it you're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. Here at the LGBTIQ Plus Women's Health Conference at the Abbotsford Convent, uh, and I'm joined now by Jade Parker from ACON. Uh, you were talking a little bit about uh, here at the conference uh, research that I believe ACON has done in partnership with some universities. I believe uh, UniTAS and uh, Uni Melbourne also involved. Um, I guess give us a little bit of a top level of what your presentation was about um, and, and the body of research that you were pulling on uh, to, to present that work. So my uh, presentation was about um, responses to sexual violence and how we can do that in a community care setting. So essentially ACON did um, two different surveys, one which focused on perceptions of sexual violence um, for LGBTQ plus communities and one that focused on LGBTQ plus um, experiences of sexual violence. So the presentation drew on the experiences survey and the data from that survey. And essentially we saw that people were most likely to disclose to their friends or to their partners and, and family members as well as um a counsellor or a psychologist uh, and that was really the only formal setting that people were disclosing in and so I was just speaking about the need for coming together and creating solutions and um, and responses to sexual violence that are LGBTQ plus inclusive but also very specifically around upskilling community members um, in the way that they can respond to survivors of violence uh, if they disclose to them uh, and I think that we really need to be making that both for general population and LGBTQ plus people um, and just being able to let people know that all survivors really want from them is to be listened to, to be cared about, to be validated and to be supported in the way that they choose to be supported. So just ensuring that any um, responses are led by the person who has experienced the violence is really key um, to supporting them. And yeah, so that's pretty much an overview of what I was speaking about at the conference. You were talking about how the, the there are 
different groups that um, survivors would end up disclosing to. And, and you threw out there friends, um, psychologists, and then potentially um, partner or, um, or relative. The percentages there were quite... Um, I don't know if surprising is maybe the right word, but like the the gap in from 60% telling friends to only 30% telling a psychologist and only about 20% telling either a partner or a relative, I guess. Was that something that you were expecting going into this research? And how do you feel the current support network is making that work if, if you feel like it is? Absolutely. Um, so... Yeah, I wasn't actually surprised to see those results. We do know anecdotally that um, community members are most likely to disclose to friends and other informal people, um, or that's if they disclose at all. I think Private Lives reflected that a lot of people, I think it was 72% of their sample of 7,000 just about um, didn't report. Um, So thankfully in, in our survey, which was much smaller, 380, but um, in our survey, most people did report, um, or disclose is a better word actually, um, disclose to their loved ones. Um, And I think there's a myriad of reasons for that, um, which are probably too long to go into now, but I think a lot of it's about those barriers to accessing um, affirmative support that a lot of community faces. Um, And then also we know there's a lot of barriers in general for sexual violence survivors, even cisgender heterosexual women. So it's sort of like a double whammy of barriers for people in our community accessing support. Um, The state of affairs now in terms of uh, upskilling, there is definitely stuff out there. Um, I think maybe it just needs to be bolstered a little bit. Like I know that at ACON we've got a toolkit and we've got a sexual violence prevention response toolkit and we've got a whole section on recognising, responding and like recovering um, just as a bystander, like as someone who's been disclosed to because I think it's really important to minimise any vicarious trauma and to just make sure you're looking after yourself as well as supporting a loved one. Uh, It's really important so we don't get like burnout within community. And then we also have got another toolkit, which is for friends and family of people who might be in um, unsafe relationships. And there are also sections on recognising, responding and recovering for that. And then in the future, um, we are currently working on video resources about upskilling community um, in collaboration with Knuckles Animation. And then we're also going to be doing some workshops and we're hoping to target those to community leaders because we feel like they will have the um, furthest reach for community as well as um, like for people in the regions. It's really important that they don't get left behind. The data that you got was not only quantitative, there was qualitative data as part of what you were reporting on. You, uh, There was uh, some of the LGBTQ women survivor voices. You gave an example, uh, feeling like it's not my place to take advantage of queer support services. That was um, a, a bi woman in a long-term relationship with a man. Um, you spoke a little bit, I think, uh, following that, that comment around needing to increase awareness of services and the capacity of services um, I guess, how does an organization like ACON or community members try and make people know that support is there and it probably should be looked into if if you're coming out of the other side of an experience like this? Yeah, so 
we do a lot of um, community-facing events at ACON, so um, especially around Sydney, mostly, of course, because that's where we're based, but also in Lismore and The Hunter. Um, there's also a really great regional outreach team that goes around to places like South Coast, Illawarra, um, you know, like Wagga, a lot of different places, and they do um, community-facing events so that they're on the ground to chat with community directly. Um, we also are trying to incorporate a lot of online stuff as well so people can access it from wherever they are. For community members, I think some of the easiest stuff that you can do is sharing the, um, the resources on social media. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way to be like, hey, there's this really cool support service or look at this program or this like community group that's happening and connecting people in with community. I think that's a really important first step. Um, I also think that potentially just being a support to someone and accessing a service with them if that's what they want can be really helpful if you're like quite anxious about going somewhere, especially if you've never been before. Um, I think it's always really helpful to offer yourself as a support person if that's what a survivor wants. Um, and that's just making sure that you know a couple of different resources and services that you can refer your loved ones to just in case it does happen. Like just in case you get disclosed to, it's always good to just have a, a little bit of an idea about what might be an appropriate place for someone to go to. Um, there's a lot of information online there's a lot of uh, service finders, like on our website, Say It Out Loud, there is a service finder which you can use. It's national, yep. so it's all across Australia, and you can pop on there and have a look at LGBTQ plus inclusive services that have popped themselves on there. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there, and I think there's just not a lot of like literacy within community. And some people are all across it, don't, yeah. don't get me wrong, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, no, I definitely think that we can be helping each other spread awareness and just talking about it in friendship circles as well because mm. there's so much stigma still around totally. being a survivor. So I think just, like, really normalising talking about, like, even healthy sexual interactions and being like, hey, you know, like, I had sex with this person and they asked for consent in, like, this really hot way and, like, just talking about yeah. those really amazing experiences and yeah. I think that can really contribute to... Um, just collective community care and supporting each other and just knowing what those healthy interactions look like and then it leads to understanding what experiences count yeah. as sexual violence because there's this this misconception that there's like only one kind of violence that counts and people it's like quite explicit I suppose in people's minds but there are so many other ways that it can manifest yes. people can experience that yes it's a yeah. continuum yeah. so there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can experience sexual harm and none of them are more important or, or worse than others they can all be experienced and cause harm to people and it's important for folks to know that they can actually access support no matter what their experience of sexual violence was like even if you don't want to label it as sexual yeah. violence and you just feel uncomfy about a situation that happened you're allowed to seek support for that there is support out there and if you're supporting a survivor, I think a lot of people don't know that you are allowed to access support from organisations yeah. just in terms of you supporting someone else. Yeah. Like there are hotlines or there are services, counselling available. And, um, yeah, I think people, especially in our communities, they're, they're worried to take up space and that's because we haven't been afforded space yeah. um, previously. And 
and I just want people to know it's okay to take up space and it's okay to use the resources um you know we're all in it together and I think it's yeah all about collective community care and I think that's really the way forward to violence prevention for our communities we're rapidly approaching the end of the LGBTIQ plus women's health conference. It's obviously been a, a little while since the last one was held in person. I suppose, um, what are some of your um, most memorable moments or some of the most surprising things uh, that you've come across the conference so far? Ooh, most memorable, I think, was the workshop on prioritising queer pleasure. Yeah. I think that's something that... Amelia does such good work. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I loved it. I think that that's something that isn't spoken about a lot. I feel like a lot of the time when people talk about our communities, it's like a bit of a deficit model. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. It was very engaging. It was very strength-based. Um, it was talking about, you know, like joy and pleasure in all different, all different ways, like... It was just really beautiful and really lovely to be in the space with community like that. Jade Parker, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. From HIV to COVID-19, STIs and everything in between, you're listening to Well, Well, Well on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Some of the numbers there that kind of stuck with me was that around disclosure, um, that so many people that will be disclosed to, I suppose, our friends and family. And I mean, Thorn Harbour uh, with, oh, was it Latrobe or with, there was a report that came out, uh, I think it was last year, around the impact on LGBTIQ communities carrying the burden of... Yes, you're talking about, so at Better Together, I spoke to um, uh, oh, the researcher Sean, uh, I believe is their name, um, from Arches, the Australian Research Center yes. for Sex, Health and Society, and talked about th how so many peers provide an immediate form of response to people. Yeah. So building the capacity of our community, coming back to what we said at the start of this episode, yep. is that building your capacity to understand these health issues does not mean you need to have the capacity of a clinician. No. But to just be able to have that conversation with your peers Mm. around the issues that they're facing safely as well safely yes like knowing how to respond but also knowing where your guardrails should be because if you're you know coming into this sort of situation someone's disclosing to you they're trusting you the impact that can have on you as well can yep. be massive 100 um and, yeah. and people are in a vulnerable state and so the ability for us to help each other is invaluable mm. uh, i think one of the things that also stood out to me as well is Look, I, I have actually been a support person mm. for someone who has yeah. been, you know, LGBTIQ person who has been in a, a situation of family violence. And one of the things that um, I believe Jade mentioned was a bi plus woman who talked about not taking up a queer service. Yes. You know, we talked about this before with bi health, you know, awareness and on the show around how bi plus people go, oh, well, but I'm currently in a relationship with an opposite person. Yeah, so they feel person. like they it's don't. Like they're not having a queer Ugh. moment. It's like, no, but you are. And so many LGBTIQ people in experiences of family violence, I've heard this before where they go, well, my situation's not that bad. I'm taking away from someone who, no, you are not. Conversely, I mean, this maybe links in well to sort of a recap more broadly of the LGBTIQ Women's Health Conference. I saw a number of research presentations on, um, there was a term that was thrown around plurisexual, where it's like, I'm mostly heterosexual, I'm bisexual, I'm mostly lesbian. That sort of middle space and the health impacts and the well-being markers, I suppose, that they used, I can't say that I recall all of them, but they were lower than you would expect, obviously, than heterosexual women, but then also in, in many cases lower than lesbian women. Mm -hmm. And so the impact that bi folk or bi plus folk have, that uh, their experience, I guess, to then downplay that and say, I don't deserve 
to take up the space and ask for help and ask for support. This is That's the thing. huge. I think That's... that oftentimes when we're faced with a challenge, one of those persistent things in the back of our minds that maybe is a little bit of an internalized queer phobia mm. is that like, oh, well, it's not that we're not worth it. Yeah. Or, or that we give ourselves an excuse not to engage, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, changing our relationship with alcohol and other drugs, yep. or we're talking about getting support services to get out of a violent relationship, mm. or we're just talking about, you know, looking after our sexual health and well-being in some yeah. way. Sometimes we find a reason to disqualify ourselves or to, you know, self-select out of these things. Yeah. And I cannot emphasize enough that you, that is not the case. These services are there for you and you should be signing up. You're doing you yourself such a huge them. disservice. Look, if you want to look at it this way, you know, if you don't use these services, they won't at, be there. The, you're point. exactly right. Cause they'll get to fund it. <laughs> yeah. Cause if people aren't using them and uptaking them and if they are oversubscribed, then that's a case for that service to then tell the government, Hey, we need a little bit more funding yeah. or to go back to wherever their funding source is and say, we can use more of the same. Yes, please. Because yeah. our uptake is this, that, and yeah. the other. So any LGBTIQ person out there right now, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, Oh, uh, I don't want to use that support service for family violence. I don't want to use this group. For, do it. Do it. Get on the list. Get on their wait list if they have a wait list because you know what? They can use that wait list to scale up yeah. and to know that these issues are out there. And the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, that for every person that takes this up, if this improves our collective health and well-being, mm. just see it as part of your civic duty. <laughs> I, because but, oftentimes we don't champion enough for ourselves. But that's, I feel like that's also, and this is maybe a poetic way to kind of wrap up um, sort of a recap on the LGBTIQ plus women's health conference. Like that was, I think, part of what the conference was seeking to accomplish, right? Because this is the first time that I've been at the conference, right? Mm. So talking a lot more about the issues, trying to empower our communities in some ways. And that can be a little bit difficult where so much of the research can be a bit of a, a downer, I, I guess. It can be heavy. A lot of these topics are really tough to try and keep up with and keep like heart while you're hearing about all of these stories. Mm. But I think a lot of the conversations were around empowering people to try and live their best life and take advantage of services that are for them, even if they don't think that is the case. Absolutely. And look, uh, we did mention a lot of resources and links uh, in these episodes and in previous episodes well, well, recently in the lead up to the LGBTIQ Women's Health Conference. Make sure you head over to joy.org.au slash well, well, where you can get links to those resources in the respective show pages, um, but also catch up on the previous episodes because mm. we've covered quite a bit so this much. time. <laughs> There's been so much content. So we we've done I think almost and, two months now of preview content. And, and look, preview alert! Like we probably will have a little bit more uh, from the conference. There will next be week. more, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, do catch us that next week on Well Well Well. Um, In the meantime, if you have any questions or suggestions for, for topics for us, you can send us an email wellwellwell at joy.org.au. Joy.org.au/wellwellwell uh, is where you can catch up on all of the previous episodes. Um, but yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining me in studio, Cal, and at the My Women's pleasure. Health Conference. And a big shout out one last time to Rachel and Justin. Yes. Amazing work to both of you. And we'll see you back on the show sometime soon. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and well-being and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.